church. The rest of us will be turning to the Lord's Prayer. A disciple asked Jesus, teach us to pray. In Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 11, page 869, there in the books, the copies of Scripture provided for you, or you can probably find it pretty rapidly on a device if you have one. Uh, Luke chapter 11, the first verse, Jesus is teaching us how to pray. He's teaching us how to pray. I'm going to go ahead and read and hope that you found it already. If not, uh, catch up with us. Here we start with that. Father, we, we approach him in that manner as Jesus taught us, which is a remarkable invitation. Father, hallowed be thy name. The rest of the petitions, and they are not declarations. It's not, Father, you're, you are hallowed, because very obviously God is not treated as he deserves right now on our planet. Amen. He is not treated uh, as he should be. And so it is a request. It is a petition. Father, hallow your name. That is, and hallow just means treat as holy. I'm, I'm reviewing from last week. But then you go on to the Lord's Prayer, and each of the petitions that follow that first, and I think primary petition, Father, hallowed be thy name, fills out how that might happen. What Jesus had in mind by the hallowing, the treating as holy, God's name. That is, when we pray, Father, hallowed be thy name, we pray, Father, hallow your name by means of your kingdom coming. Father, hallow your name as your will is done on earth, as it very clearly already is done in heaven. Father, hallow your name by giving us this day our daily bread, all of our resources, everything we need. Father, hallow your name by your applying the forgiveness of our sins through that blessed Son, Jesus whose blood covers us from every sin, all sin. Father, hallow thy name as you are not leading us in temptation, but deliver us from that ornery snot, the evil one, right? It is literally the evil one from evil and all of its, its hallmarks found in Satan and his minions. Father, I'll say lastly, hallow thy name as your kingdom is coming. Father, may your will be done in this manner. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. So today, though, we're going to look at thy kingdom come, that is, your will be done comes after that. But thy kingdom come, your kingdom come. The wonderful thing about this sermon is it's the easiest outline you will have ever to follow. Because in the West, we have to have three-point outlines. I don't know if you followed that. Most sermons have three points. Part of it's the Trinitarian, I suppose, echo. Uh, there are three words in that petition, thy kingdom come. Guess what? There are three points to the sermon. Thy kingdom come. So I hope you are bored by that, but there it is. Thy kingdom come. Those are the three words. What do they mean? Look at them each uh, in order so that we can get it right and that we can be right in Christ as we press into the privileges that belong to those who are citizens of such a mighty king kingdom, a citizen, the allegiance to Christ. Thy kingdom come. So the thy or the your, and those are, if you're younger, uh, don't think of thy and thou so much as like exalted kind of like legalese. Uh, it's just an old English way of saying your, it's fine. Your kingdom come. Whose kingdom is it? The first thing to notice is Jesus had clearly in mind the kingdom, and he understood it was God's kingdom. Father, hallowed be thy name, Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom 
come. One of the very first things that's very evident when you start to begin to pray the Lord's Prayer and really reflect more than just a few seconds on it is how God-saturated, God's first, God, it's his agenda first, not mine, right? He comes first, my stuff comes later, you know. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Those sort of things. They're going to come, but it begins with God. It begins with his agenda, his kingdom. Thy kingdom come. Uh, I want to read with you in John chapter 18. If you'll turn the next book back, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John. In John chapter 18, uh, verse 33, Jesus has an encounter with a guy named Pontius Pilate, we call him. He is known as. And uh, it's on page 904, so just a few back from where you were. John 18, Jesus talks more, uh, so much about the kingdom, including in his interrogation. He was, uh, the meal had been established that night of his betrayal. He was betrayed. The people came up. There were pitchforks and clubs and, and, and fire and everything. And, and, uh, and he said that word, uh, I am. And all these thugs just fell on. They melted before him because of the power that was in Christ as the son of the living God. And that, but somehow they got re, re, uh, recombobulated and, and got back up on their feet. And, and, and uh, I guess whipped by their great master, the white prince. The White Witch of the, that, that movie is going to show it tonight, the White Witch of the Winter, or the Prince of the Air, that is Satan. He's driving these men forward. They arrest Jesus. They take him into to the high priest. He gets interrogated there in the middle of the night, a, a trumped up court sort of in the middle of the night. And then he's brought to a representative of a kingdom. The, the kingdom in power on the earth, at least the, the middle of the earth, and all that area around the Mediterranean was a kingdom that was based in Rome. And there's a, there's an, a representative of that king. We, it was such a big kingdom. There's kind of a king of, kingdom of kingdoms. They call it an empire. I suppose a kingdom of kingdoms is an empire. And the empire, the emperor on the throne was, was the Roman emperor. And he had sent a rather intelligent man, a rather ambitious man, Pilate, to a place called Judea, a little district of Judea. And he is about to pass judgment on the, mo the most important decision in all of human history for any judge. He's about to pass judgment on Jesus. So here's what happens. Look at verse 33, John 18, 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus. And he said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? It's remarkable. Jesus is very clear. He talks more about the kingdom in the four gospels. I, I challenge you almost just find a chapter that isn't somehow related to the kingdom that God brought through his son, the one he had lifted up, the king 
of the Jews. The king of more than the Jews, isn't he? He's the king of anyone who will turn to him, Gentile or Jew, and eventually uh, will be king of kings, lord of lords of the known universe, including this little fragile ball we sit upon now. So whose kingdom is it? It is God's kingdom. And who is raised up? Uh, who is he raised up to be that king, to be the anointed person and leader and representative, to be the king over this emperor, this emperor of his kingdom? It is, of course, Jesus Christ. Jesus answered in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not of this world. Now, he would be killed. Now, that's strange. In fact, Pilate was like, are you a king? Because kings usually have regalia. They wear fancy clothes. They have gold crowns. They have followings. They have swords. They have fancy horses. They don't sit on colts of a donkey where their feet almost drag on the ground. They don't do those sort of things. So are you really a king, Jesus? And he says, I am a king, but a more profound king than you can possibly fathom. A king that even Caesar must bow before. Remember when he was tested? Should we, what should we give to Caesar? What should we give to God? And he brings out a little coin and he says in a marvelous way, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what? What belongs to God. Which, of course, what belongs to God? Everything. Now that's striking. Now that's striking. He has a different uh, mindset about this relationship between the state uh, and the church and his people. My kingdom is not of this world. In fact, he would be killed. He would die. He would be put in a tomb. And by, by God's great work, he did not stay there. He was the first among all who will be raised from the dead. I hope many of us will be among that number. And he stands there as he's about to ascend. And he says so beautifully, all authority in, on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. If there was any doubt, now the disciples know, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Who gave it to him? God. He said, you, you did it. I can't imagine the high five or whatever that would be in the divine world, father of the son. The, the, the father gave his son as he achieved that which he had been asked. Remember when he was in Gethsemane, he had prayed, Father, please take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Because Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come. Even he, the king, prayed to the Father, that thy kingdom, that thy will be done. He understood to pray, thy kingdom come. When you pray that, it is an admission that someone is above you, that there is a kingdom grander than your little kingdom, your little fiefdom that you're building and assembling and caring for and managing. He is on the throne, and you admit that when you pray, thy kingdom come. Even Jesus admitted that. He said, your kingdom come. A clear acknowledgement that someone is uh, in authority over you. I, I think it's, when I come to prayer, I don't know how you come to pray, but it's, I don't need many prompts to, to have things I want to ask God's help with. Those come easy. Like, I need this. I need that. I need so-and-so to be healed. I need resources. I, I mean, those things come easy, but, but remembering to start with, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. I, I need that prompt. What's beautiful about the Lord's Prayer is you pray it and develop this ethos, more than just the memorization, the rote of being able to say the words in the right order and all that kind of thing, is to absorb the heart of Christ in the prayer. That is to begin to think, my goodness, God's agenda trumps my agenda, trumps our agenda. Amen? His timing trumps my timing. Do you understand what I'm saying? His timeline is better than my timeline. My, 
attitude sometimes. In my prayers, I come with this uh, deficiency. Lord, I don't have what I need. I needed more of something and more of uh, inevitably you in some manner. So why are you holding out as my mindset sometimes when in all reality, he is the king upon the throne. He has resourced us as he has decided his agenda, his way, his timing is better than ours. He knows what he's doing. And I like to say this. You've heard me say it before. He, the Lord Jesus especially, he is a competent shepherd. You do not need to micromanage him or Monday morning quarterback his play calling. He knows what he's about. When you pray, thy kingdom come, it is a tacit reminder that you once again are aligning your life, your agenda, your mindset to the recognition that God is still in charge. He knows what he's doing, even in permitting one and only one sphere in all the cosmos to live in rebellion against him. Now, it just happens to be that we dwell on that specific sphere. But he knows what he's doing. And so we're to pray, thy kingdom come, because it hasn't come fully for sure. Pilate is a great example of someone who didn't get it, someone who failed to not only pray the Lord's Prayer, he didn't ask Jesus how to pray, he wasn't all that interested in prayer probably, because he didn't have a heart, he didn't have a will conformed to recognize God. It was me, myself, and I. He was as self-consumed as you can be, as any sinner is outside of God, outside of Christ. It's me, myself, and I. He is ambitious, he's just trying to navigate, he's kind of stuck tactically by the Jews, He's trying to figure out how not to kill Jesus because he goes on to say, I find nothing wrong with this man. He's guiltless. But then he gets himself into a jam and has to end up killing him anyways. It's rather wretched. And and why did he do that? Because he remained self-focused. He was covering his agenda, covering his butt, and trying to cover himself in some manner. And Pilate didn't get it. It's very clear he didn't get it because when Jesus says, anyone who would admit that God is God, that I am his messenger, that I really am a king, though differently than you conceive of, will listen to me. They'll have ears to hear. They'll wonder what is going on because they'll know there's power in me, power from God. And what does he say? Anyone who will listen will listen to me because I bear witness to the truth. And what does Pilate respond? What is true? He's not listening. He's using Jesus for self-promotion in some manner. Huge misunderstanding about the nature of the kingdom. And Pilate wasn't the only one, by the way, to miss it. Actually, you look at the Bible, it seems like everyone, to one degree or another, has missed it. Even John the Baptizer is going to miss it. When we look at Matthew 11 in a minute, we'll see that. But uh, the apostles, the 12 who, uh, and especially the 11 who were faithful and true to the end, when, um, when they were with Jesus after he had risen from the dead, they still didn't get it. In Acts 1, they say, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel, they still didn't get it, (laughs) what he was about, who he was, what was going on. What is the kingdom? That's the second word. So your, thy, the second uh, word, thy kingdom come, is the word kingdom. Thy kingdom come. Kingdom is an interesting word. It's, for us, it's kind of quaint and 
we like Chronicles of Narnia and Lord of the Rings and all that sort of thing. We like, I don't know, it's something magical, so much better about battles on horses than in cars, right? There's just, uh, even, it's not just ladies who enjoy riding horses. There's something like regal about riding a horse into something going, going on. And, and when we think of kingdom, we think of horses, we think of knights in shining armor, we think of you know, wait, uh, ladies in waiting and castles and moats and maybe dragons or something like that. You know, that's what we think of when we think of kingdoms. But when we use this word, the Greek word is basileia, it is the word kingdom, but it means something more differently than when we think of kingdom. We're thinking of places, we're thinking of um, sort of boundaries. You see the kingdom of England, we think of a boundary. We're looking at a map. If you're using any kind of map uh, thinking or a matrix of map in your mind when you hear the word kingdom, you're not using it in the Greek sense of the word, in the way in which at least Jesus is using it here and in the Gospels. Kingdom is not about a map. It's not a place. It's not boundary lines. Kingdom, when Jesus talks about it, it's the rule or the reign of God. It's his, God's administration. Pilate says, what is true? So he, he misses the, he misses. The kingdom. And, God, and Jesus even warned in John 3, he's talking to Nicodemus. I'm going to turn there. John chapter 3 at the very beginning of the, first, uh, of the third chapter, verse 1. He's talking to a man named Nicodemus. And a Pharisee, a teacher, he's very educated, but he's missing the kingdom. He's missing the point. He's not, he knows there's power. He can perceive that something's going on, that God's doing something in Jesus. But he's not quite sure what category to put Jesus in. He's thinking, is this a teacher? Maybe he's something more because he's doing powerful things. Could he be a prophet? Maybe he's something, but he, he never considered the claim that he might be the king of kings. That's what's going to blow his socks off. But, but here's what it says. And now there's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless one is born again. I'm sorry, no one can, excuse me, I, I skipped a line. Let me reread it. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. It's remarkable, unless you have the work of God's spirit on you, you cannot see the kingdom, you cannot enter the kingdom. That's why Pilate didn't get the kingdom, and he kind of dismissed the kingdom. You need something else. Now, Jesus goes on in Luke 11, and he, he talks about it. You might be frustrated. You're like, well, this is frustrating. I need a resource that I don't have. I need God's spirit. I can't, I can't like, make God's spirit to do whatever I need or something like that. So I feel very incompetent. I'm very powerless and impotent to even fix any of my problems. So how can I, how can I go about this? This is good news, actually, that it requires God and not your effort to get into the kingdom to see the kingdom at all. Because if I said to you, look, if you want to get into God's kingdom, you just have to do 10,115 push-ups on your knuckles without any breaks, none of us could enter the kingdom. <laughs> okay, Donovan can enter the kingdom. <laughs> 
Can you do 10,000 push-ups on your knuckles? I didn't think so. I picked a big number. I thought it'd be impressive. I don't know. It seems like a lot of push-ups. I probably can't do 20 push-ups on my knuckles. I don't know. The point is, if it was up to you, you would fall short. Every, in fact, the Old Testament is really about that, how relentlessly human beings fall short of God's entrance exam to the kingdom of heaven. Because you're not perfect. But we have a prince, the prince of peace. We have a king, the king of kings. We have the lamb of God who takes upon himself the sin of the world. One of the most marvelous pictures in the book of Revelation is you see the throne. And who's on the throne? A lamb that has been slain. A king that has suffered. A man of sorrows who knows what it is to be acquainted with grief, who is a familiar and yet has never fallen short, never sinned, but understands sin, comprehends what we go through, knows what it is to be a finite creature like a little grasshopper hopping about for a time on a, the edge of a sphere, and he knows what it is to be finite. He gets all that, and so he comes to us and grants us this great thing called the Holy Spirit to help us to see and to be in the kingdom. In fact, encouraging you, he goes on to say that in Luke 11. This I'm going to read, verses 5 through 13. This is so good, such good news that it requires God to work first for you enter the, to enter the kingdom, for you to see or desire or long for the truth. But when God does that, you will do those things. You will long for the truth. You will long for God to be in your life. You will not just parrot the words or say or recite the words, thy kingdom come. You'll mean them because God has worked on your life. And you might think, how could I ever get there? Well, Jesus encourages his listeners. He says this, he said to them, which of you has, a, this is verse 5 of Luke 11, which of you has a friend and will, that will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine as arrives on a journey. I have nothing to set before him. And he'll answer from within his house, do not bother me. The door's now shut. My kids are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, that is his boldness, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and for the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if he asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now what was required to see and enter the kingdom? Do you remember? The Holy Spirit. How do you get the Holy Spirit? You ask. Who? You ask a father. You're like a little child knocking on his door. Let me in. But when you get in, you find Revelation 3 to be true, that he was knocking on the door of your life asking to come in to dwell with you. It's this marvelous transaction that occurs where you give allegiance to Jesus Christ as the king. That's how you enter this marvelous kingdom. The kingdom of God is so beautiful. Now, Pilate was dismissive. He's like, are you even a king? I don't see a kingdom anywhere. And sometimes in the world today, like the church being so spiritual, I'll say, they're like, ah, you know, that religious thing is just spiritual. It's merely spiritual. No, no, no. The kingdom that Christ brings is so powerful. Yes, it's spiritual, but because it's spiritual, it actually can transform heart, desires, and motivations. It not only has power to transform internally, it can transform marriages, relationships, children. 
No amount of money can fix your marriage. God can fix a marriage. I mean, it has power to reach bodies that are crooked and heal them, eyes that are blind. He raises the dead. Now, of course, it also, the kingdom, the king of kings, does affect finances and power and many other things. Thy kingdom come, God's kingdom come. It's God's reign in our lives. Uh, Tony Evans in his book, Kingdom Man, which I do agree with Pastor Jonathan, I urge you, I've been reading it and been very encouraged, encouraged by it. And, I, and you know, some of you know me well enough that I'm, I'm not into things that kind of get the buzz in the evangelical or church world. But I think this is a message, uh, an encouraging message for us today. So I, we're gonna, I'm going to attend the Kingdom Man group as well. Um, so I encourage you to, to sign up for that. But he writes this in his book, Kingdom Man. Jesus wants men who will carry out his agenda governance and guidelines in a world in crisis. Jesus wants men who will carry out his agenda, governance, and guidelines in a world in crisis. Why are we in crisis? Because we try to manage the world by, by removing God from it. We rebel against him. And the kingdom of God is the way in which God exercises his reign through his representatives. We're all in this wonderful um, audition for the glorious kingdom that yet is coming. We'll find about that in a minute. When we, came, when we pray, thy kingdom come, like one guy said, this one infinitesimal speck of sand is it in an infinite universe. It's this only speck that rebels against the holy God. And he's in the process of bringing this speck even into harmony with his will. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. How does the kingdom come? Because it does say that, thy kingdom come. The word come is a verb, it's a Greek. I, I was telling I was telling Pastor Jonathan just this week, I kind of like was ready to pull my hair out because Jesus uses all the wrong verbs. <laughs> he uses all these weird verbs, especially in the first half of his prayer. They, none of them can be translated directly into English. They just don't fit. We don't have categories in modern English to fit what he was saying exactly. So this, this verb that he has, it's an imperative, it's a command given, but it's an aorist. And you might think aorist means time, like past tense. But it doesn't mean that when it's given in an imperative. I'm giving you a technical thing I know. It's describing instead of like a, an aspect of his program, but rather than one aspect, like what was done or what is going to happen now or what will happen in the future. It's the entire program. When you pray, thy kingdom come, you're praying for the entire program. What Christ had already done, has done done and finished on the cross, what is happening now in you, through you, and around you as a vice regent, a representative, one swearing allegiance to Christ, and what will be, what shall come, we all ache for, where this mess of rebellion would be done, and people would admit that Jesus Christ is king. They'd bow their knees to him. It's like that, uh, and I, we think very linearly in the West, so we think past present and future, but it, it doesn't translate well. A much better way of thinking about it, this kingdom, what kind of kingdom is coming, what does that all work to pray for that to come? It's that which is, was, is, and is to come. Have you heard of that? That The one who was, and is, and is to come, or the king who was, and is, and is to come. We're in the is bit. The is to come is 
future, so to speak, coming. But the was also, the king already came. Jesus died on the cross for us, right? He already achieved that which he could. He was that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Already it's past tense. He's already on his throne. It's just we live in a world that is hostile to him, that opposes to him, like one of the parables. So many of the parables talk about the kingdom, and we're all just renters, and we just don't want that landlord to take his thumb on our lives, and so we sort of use his stuff in ways that he doesn't celebrate. And so he's patient with us, steadfast, not wishing any to perish without him. So he's waiting it out uh, he, for whatever uh, timeline he has in mind, but he is coming back. And to pray thy kingdom come is to pray that he comes back. That he comes back. That he brings righteousness to bear. He's come into the world. He's bear witness to to himself. And I'm going to finish by bringing us to our our favorite chapter. One of our favorite chapters here at Oak Grove is Matthew 11. Matthew 11. We like this chapter so much that God put us on the road that's named Weary. And he gave us a banner out there. Uh, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's the very last bit of Matthew 11. And this is really interesting. God showed me that in Matthew 11 at the end, Jesus is to the point where he's praying the Lord's Prayer, actually. And then he bursts into thy kingdom come, and he says, let's do something about it. Let's bring the kingdom now into this moment. So thy kingdom come. Looking at Matthew 11, which is page 816, we'll finish this here. Uh, just there's so many um, overlapping uh, uh, sort of elements or themes in Matthew 11 with with what we've talked about in Thy Kingdom Come because John the Baptizer he's in prison and, and he's he's confused he's he's uncertain he's second guessing things and he sends some of his disciples some of his his followers to Jesus and says in verse uh, three there of um, John, Matthew 11 verse three are you the one who's to come or shall we look for another? In other words, same question. Are you a king? And if so, what kind of kingdom is this? I mean, what's going on here? I was the herald of the Messiah, the king, and I thought I was heralding you, but I'm not so certain anymore. I I thought it would be more definitive, more irresistible. It it just seems pitiful, honestly, sometimes. Uh, What's going on here? Is it worth me dying for in prison? And, of course, he would be losing his head for this king. Jesus answered them, verse 4, Go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. He's saying, you want, the king is here, his power is with him, look what's happening. People are raised from the dead, people see who are blind, people are hearing who are deaf. God is preaching the good news to these people. He is doing Isaiah, is it 61? I have come, right, he's saying, and, and to proclaim the good news, the year of the Lord's favor, to deliver captives. He's the king who delivers captives. And they go away, and so he begins to speak to the crowds in verse 7 and following. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? Were you looking for someone who's dressed in fine clothes? Were you looking for someone who belongs in the regalia of throne rooms of our age? The political powers and sources of of power? Uh, No. You you saw a guy who was odd looking, but he had a powerful message that came from God. A messenger from God. And then he says in verse 11, Truly I say to you, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet... The one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. 
From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violence take it by force. That's, that's confusing, but it, what, it's, what he's saying is, the kingdom comes gradually, it seems, and then suddenly. I mean, hasn't that... Think about your life. So many of your problems are kind of that way. They were, they were gradually, and then suddenly you were in a jam, right? Like, you know, it was gradual, and suddenly you're in trouble. It's like that with life. I mean, people will attend for a while. I know of men who've attended for a long time. It was gradually they were hearing the truth, gradually. And then suddenly there was life. That's what it is. You, the moment that you bow to Christ, you give him allegiance, you repent of your sins and trust in him as the one that God has chosen to be the savior of you and of the world, you're suddenly into the kingdom. It's not a gradual thing then. You're suddenly alive. You know, there's no gradual dead coming alive. It's, it's a moment when Lazarus went from death to, to life. Do you see? It was gradual in a way, but then it was sudden when it happened. Jesus says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And people are complaining. They complained about John. They complained about me. And then he reminds them about what's to come. He said, if, if the things that were done here were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, those wicked, filthy, evil places, they would have repented, but they so you are all the more in trouble on the judgment day because you'll be accountable for what you've seen, what you've heard. And then he says this. He launches into the Lord's Prayer, verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, Father, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is is light. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. This is so beautiful, and I love what, how Jesus, I just love how Jesus prays. He starts, he's talking to them, and in the midst of talking to people, you know, answering some things, warning them, he suddenly bursts into prayer, Father. Can you imagine him like talking, then suddenly his attention is vertical again. Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's what he means when he says, I think that's what he's filling out because he's, he's giving us, a, again, an outline how to pray and he's applying that outline even here, I believe, because he says, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. All oh, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and you've read them to, re, revealed them to little children. These disciples, it's hard to believe, God, you've chosen these guys. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then he would have prayed, Thy kingdom come. But it's like instead of praying that, he decides, let's just do this thing. Because he gives the altar call, as you will. Come to me, he says, all who are labor and are weary, who are burdened, I will give you rest. 
The kingdom of God, when he says this, he's invi- invoking the kingdom blessing, the, in, the uh, opportunity for you to still come in until the day of judgment. We still have every moment is another moment to enter into this kingdom with a mighty king upon his throne. And this king is Jesus. And if you can do this, this is amazing because he says, take my yoke upon you for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And this kingdom is so bizarre because it's the kind of kingdom that a king is on his throne and he doesn't, like the things, the things that count in this kingdom aren't what you think they are. That's what John the Baptist was so uncertain about. Did what I do count? Did it matter? Was it, was it supposed to be for the kingdom? And you think, well, well, if he is a preacher and a baptizer and an evangelizer, like if, if he's second guessing, what's going on here? Well, the kingdom that God brings in our lives is, is a yoke. And that yoke is God the king being with you in the ordinary tasks of life. Because a yoke is pretty ordinary. It's two cows pulling a plow. That's a very ordinary task, Right? God's kingdom is such that when you have allegiance to Christ, he enters your life by his spirit. He does life with you so that the ordinary things count for the king. Raising whining children in the middle of the night counts for King Jesus. And in fact, when you have a screaming infant or whatever disruption in your life, and you're praying in the midst of that, I just don't want to get angry at this little thing. Amen? I just don't want to lose it with this little guy who won't shut up. I've lived that. (laughs) And then you say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. In other words, he appoints ordinary tasks for you and I to be done in a kingdom way. Do you understand? And when you pray, thy kingdom come, you are amongst the handful of people on this planet who have agreed to align your life to King Jesus and start putting order to your sphere, however big or small, as the king desires. And the only way you're going to get there is if you start consulting him and get his wisdom and direction in those spheres of your life. Whether it's in the middle of the night with someone screaming or whether it's mowing your yard or tending whatever you have, you need King Jesus to reign through you It's how righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit come upon this planet. And it is very compelling to those who are walking, to those who are watching. Let's pray right now and ask God to do it through us. Father in heaven, we give you praise, glory, and honor, and thanksgiving. I love that Jesus, um, it just seems like your, your son got carried away. Uh, and, and he was praying, and, and then he just like, I, I just can't stand it anymore. Oh, that more would bow the knee and recognize your sovereignty, your place in the universe, and your worthwhileness, if that's even a word, to be praised and magnified and glorified. Father, we live in a, in a world in crisis. We live in a world breaking down. We live in a world with all kinds of disruptions, and we're not even sure what's left and right anymore, what's up and down We're confused, but we do know this, that you are truth. You you know the way. There are so many things happening that are above our pay grade. We are grateful to know that you are the king upon the throne, that nothing is above your pay grade, and that every human heart is available to you. You have access to everyone. We glorify your holy name. We thank you and praise your holy name. And we beg you, we earnestly call you to mind that which you're committed to, that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you for listening. We trust you to do it. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.